Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. I guess there's no better way to start this show except to mention that I never thought I'd be welcoming on an Alex Lau again onto the show. Except this time, hold on to your hats. This isn't Alex Lau, Aka, James Bond that we all know. It's Alex Lau from The Horologist Hong Kong. And for those that don't actually get that, I'll just briefly mention that one of the people that started this podcast was called Alex Lau too. And um, he was based in Hong Kong and a watch collector. And I used to take the piss out of him for wanting to be James Bond, even though he never admitted to it. Um, anyway, welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure being here. So as mentioned, you run the horologist. What is the horologist? Is it some kind of plant Instagram page? <laughs> um, so to put it, in a simple terms, uh, we are a watch dealer uh, and a lifestyle brand around watches, which uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a simplified way of saying it. Yeah. So, is this something you do uh, full time or part time? So uh, recently, it's 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 become my full time job, and um, previously I I was in a different industry, and um, this started off as a hobby of mine and uh, slowly turned into a full-time job. Okay, so what kind of stuff, when you say lifestyle brand, what is so lifestyle about it? Yeah, so um, when I first started the, um, the Horologist, my idea was to bring different products around watches. So for example, our first product was a cleaning kit for watches. And um, we're also expanding into leather goods for watches. And uh, the watch dealing side kind of came organically when uh, my clients, my friends started to, to ask me about watches, um, how to buy, how to sell. So uh, yeah, so the lifestyle side is more about the products, leather goods, um, the cleaning stuff, and uh, hopefully more in the future. So I've got a question right there from what you just said, because the products you're selling, cleaning products for your watches, leather goods for your watches, I would have thought that those kind of products are for already seasoned watch collectors. Why were they coming up to you saying, you know, why don't you become a watch dealer? Like, by the way, nobody's ever come to, nobody's ever come up to me and said that. Like, Daniel, yeah, you should yeah. be a watch dealer. But like, yeah, why did they say that? And two, why do they need help with that? Because I thought they'd be pretty seasoned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I mean, there's there's a there's a wide spectrum of friends that I have of like from from very seasoned watch collectors to to more, I guess, beginners in watch collecting. Because I'm uh, I'm I'm relatively young, I guess. So if some of my friends recently started collecting in these these few years and they're they're not as seasoned and they they're just curious about where they can find watches especially ones that are going into vintage or rare watches and they've they, they basically they kept sending me different articles different listings of watches and i thought you know what like 
there's something I can do here, you know, instead of like referring them to different dealers or friends of mine, there's something, there's a, there's a need for that in the market for me. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Hong Kong, right? You're based in Hong Kong. Like, I swear, yeah. like, that not only is it a mecca for watches, but it's a mecca for watch collectors, but it's also a mecca for watch dealers, right? Yeah. You've got, like, uh, wrist check, watch box, all of them. What are they doing wrong where those friends of yours can't go to those platforms and feel like they need to go to you? Yeah, I mean, that's a... That's a fantastic question because that's like a question that i ask on a weekly basis right <laughs> um what what is your niche right like why are you better than the other dealers that exist but if i'm honest i'm not like I, i'm definitely not better than them or i'm not any good compared to them like better compared to them it's just that although hong kong is so concentrated in in watch dealers i've there, there's always a um, it's not saturated yet, I think, in that sense. There's always um, an opening for, for new dealers with, I guess it's just people like variations and they like choices, right? Uh, they, they like to look around, shop around, and I'm just another option, you know, out there. So I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like a different niche. I Like my niche is to do vintage watches and rare independent as well. But um, yeah, I think for me, it's just that my friends feel like they're more confident with dealing with someone that they know, right? Because in watches, it's all about trust, all about confidence. So yeah, I guess that's uh, that's the reason they wanted to look to me and said, yeah. I just want to make a point. Like, I don't think that um, it's an issue that Hong Kong is saturated because I think being a dealer, it's kind of like, having a hair salon or um like um a nail salon because it's not um it's not about how many shops are open because you kind of like i mean you can get your hair cut everywhere it's just whoever you're comfortable with you just end up going there and you don't need to have a very specific reason to go somewhere you're just used to it or yeah you're yeah, yeah but um yeah, yeah. my question is because I feel like it's more awkward to deal with your friends than with strangers. So yeah, do you yeah. feel like it's harder to ask your friends to pay than it is to just deal with people you don't know? Yes, that that's that's definitely one of the hardest parts sometimes. When I think for both sides, when selling and buying, I I tend to, you know, as a friend, I want to offer them the best prices or the best deals. But, um, you know, business is business. So um, you gotta you gotta be be firm on as a watch dealer. Like I've learned throughout the time, like the short time that I've been a dealer, you've got to be firm on your prices. So you know, um, as nice as I want to be, um, you gotta do it according to market, right? And mm. whatever's out there. So um, yeah, obviously, okay. yeah, friend, friend is hard. Like because previously yeah. I was in a different industry. I was in real estate. And mm. I have to deal with friends a lot as well, right? So people <laughs> look to you, yeah. And um, it's never, never easy, but then as long as you provide them with the right information mm -hmm. and the expertise that they look for, right? And yeah, it's not, ultimately it's not down to the price only, it's down to the quality, down to the information you provide. So yeah, mm. that's, the, that's the niche I wanna go for, right? Mm. Yeah. Right. I'm sure you see a lot of online dealers, they, they have, 
fantastic pieces, but not at the best prices. But mm -hmm. the reason people still buy from them is because they trust their expertise and the quality of the watches. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your sales channels then? Um, so right now it's my website. So I have an official website where I list most of my watches, but a lot of watches I sell offline, um, privately to my, to my clients. And I do post on Carol sales sometimes, but it's, uh, it's an interesting platform. Uh, I wouldn't comment too much on that, but, uh, Chrono 24 is one of the platforms too. And, um, mainly it's going to be social medias. So Instagram is my main channel i think in terms of my sales leads it's definitely instagram okay so i, I want to ask a question about carousel because you have to meet the buyer right or the, yeah. the seller um have you done a trade on carousel because i'm curious about how safe it is like are you ever afraid that they'll just like snatch the watch and like run away um so for with carousel it's um it's a difficult one because trust is a like it's a it's a big issue and I, I spent a lot of time studying the platform and for me right now my my profile is it's like an official website it has all the official information so people tend to trust um i guess profiles in this way but when someone inquires whether they're buying or selling uh it's all down to experience i think for me because uh the questions they ask is it reasonable? It doesn't make sense. If someone comes in with an offer that they don't even negotiate, that's a bit dodgy, right? That's a bit, you know, you've got to think twice. Why is someone buying something that's expensive and not even questioning the price or asking like condition or like simple questions, right? And those like, it's, yeah, it's down to the experience I, I've, I've had and uh, learn, learn, learning from that. Mm, okay. So, so what yeah. you're saying, are you saying it is risky? Yeah, yeah, I think Carousel on the whole is risky for for C to C. You know, it's con connecting buyers and sellers. So in that sense, it's it's very risky if you don't have the right um, experience in dealing online. Uh, it it can be very risky, and you you have you do have the stories like odd stories about people like uh, giving you like checks that bounces and mm. like all sorts of like crazy stories, stealing watches when you're trying to like do the transaction. So you've got to be a bit more cautious when you deal on Carousel. So what mm -hmm. safeguards do you put in place for that then? Like, are there like hard, well, fast rules that just, you stick to? Yeah, yeah. So I have a few few rules. I, I, I stick with the, the first rule is uh, I ask like at least three questions, which is to check if the guy knows watches, you know, and um, I'd say 10, if, if someone's trying to scam you or they, they're like bad intentions, they tend to not answer those questions, you know, um, mm. about watches. So a bit more specific because the watches I sell, I don't sell like the regular Daytonas or stuff. I sell stuff that's a bit more specified, a bit more specialist. So people who buy these watches, no watches. So I guess I mitigate some of the risk from there. And also I have an office, right? And I don't have all my... Um, watches in my in my office so whenever i have someone interested i tell them to come over to my office for an appointment and my office have all the like obviously alarms and all that in place to make sure it's a it's a safe place right so it's it's a bit easier for me i i have another question like can you just give me an example of 
a question you would ask to vet someone? Uh, um, so say it's a, yeah. say it's a vintage Rolex. Okay. I, I tend to ask questions about like, um, so like a question that is about the watch, right? It's very specific. Mm -hmm. Like say it's a, it's a matte dial day date. Yeah. And I, I would ask a question like, oh, um, there's 20 links. I would say like, there's 20 links. Do you need more extra links? These kind of questions. Mm -hmm. If they're scammer or, or some sorts, they wouldn't know how to answer mm. these kind of questions. So uh, from, from their reaction or their reply, I can, I can have a feel of what, what's to come. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I just wanted to, like, we're talking about safety and being a watch dealer. But, you know, Hong Kong has unfortunately been, you know, some dealers have been the victim of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, burglaries, you know. Yeah places are actually on the first floor you know on street level mm -hmm. what, yeah. what's your like take on that alex i mean i um i have a very controversial take on that like i'm sure the ones you we've seen are the big ones like the ones that's been involved with like multiple watches we're talking like 10 millions tens of millions and uh you know i i feel like there's something more than just like a robbery you know uh it's it's definitely uh not just a robbery i feel like uh with the market downturning there's there's something more to it you know well go on elaborate you know, yeah. <laughs> so i feel, I feel no, like i'm really some, dumb someone... i'm really dumb <laughs> no, i mean, I mean five o'clock in the afternoon yeah, i'm a bit yeah, dumb yeah. yeah no i mean i mean there's um it's it's sad to see there's robberies, but then if you look at the amount of watches they're trying to steal, it's impossible to see to sell it back on the black market or or, or some sorts, right? Because mm -hmm. why? With the technology, because with the technology we have these days, and with the watches that they are stealing, most of them are new watches, and all the serial numbers and stuff are are recorded by the dealers or by anyone else on the open market. So mm -hmm. selling this back to the open market, it it'd be automatically like a red flag. No one's going to buy at even half the price, right? So having like 100 watches to sell, it's it's a super hard job and they're not professionals. They don't know where to sell these, so they have to find a means, right? And so for me, people who are like victims of these like robberies might have some ill intentions, I feel like. They, they might be... Uh, related to insurance or some sorts i feel like if we're being mm. transparent <laughs> so you reckon it's uh people potentially maybe um using a robbery to claim falsely especially in a downturn market where they've got too much stock i feel like it's a possibility for for, for sure like um because yeah like i said it, it, it's super hard like if it's a robbery you steal like 10 watches and go right it, it's it's too much effort to, to steal like but you know watches. what right if i was a robber i'd obviously yeah. want to steal more watches than just what oh, that's true that's true so that's <laughs> right. i mean for me it's just like my take on it but obviously I, I do feel bad for some cases like especially people i might know uh dealers i might know who, who did get stuff stolen from but um yeah i feel like uh safety in hong kong in general is still very good uh like wearing a watch is no problem like as a dealer having few watches with me at all times, it's not a big problem. There's no, there's no, like even an MTR, it's no big problem. 
com especially compared to the Western world right now, because, you know, in America yeah. and, and, and Europe is terrible right now. So, yeah, I think Hong Kong is still safe in that sense. I don't know, like, how I feel about this. I mean, I live in Hong Kong and I just I'm just so paranoid because the stories <laughs> when you do get robbed are like at the MTR station with the knives. And I just think yeah. it just takes once or I always say this, if people monitor your um, activity long enough on Instagram, they know where you go. Mm. And then you, like, I mean, I don't do this anymore, but say we used to meet at a specific place every Sunday. I feel like people mm. can just be like, hey, look, there's five of them every Sunday at this place. Why wouldn't they just go in and like take out a knife? Yeah, I think I think there's that's definitely a risk right now with social media being so so active with uh, yeah. amongst watch collectors, right? Um, yeah, I like for, with that side of things. I think it's harder to manage, but in general, because Hong Kong is so small and um, there's cameras everywhere, right? Um, it's still I think you have to be relevant, like you have to compare to different places, right? Mm. In general. Hong bit safer i think mm. maybe the only safe, safer place is probably like dubai and maybe singapore yeah so i mean japan still, but actually i japan think china is super safe yeah, i was just gonna safe. say yeah i was gonna I put my vote in for china. china yeah 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 that's that's very true like china is probably like number one now because yeah. people are very scared of committing crimes <laughs> like no one's trying <laughs> it's to because there's cameras crime. everywhere yeah 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 and you like the sentence can be very severe in china like yeah. Well, forget stealing a, a watch. <laughs> I mean, like stealing bicycles is a thing of the past. You know, when I first came to China yeah. 10 years ago, that used to be a perennial problem. You used to mm, leave your yeah. bike here, like, and it's only like, well, I don't know, 300 RMB. It's not even worth a lot. But mm. just the headache of coming out of the metro station and seeing your bike not there was worth yeah. more than 300 bucks, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. uh people just used to steal and then sell them on for like a couple hundred bucks right and you know that's a lot for some people mm. that doesn't even happen anymore it never ever happens anymore mm. yeah there's no there's no petty crimes now yeah yeah um so yeah but i mean if you look at hong kong the all yeah. the all the like watch related robberies has been big ones like there's not yeah. a lot of like individual cases there's a like odd few but it's uh is that is that yeah yeah. Is that what's asked, was also adding to the uh, skepticism, Alex? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, in a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there was one that was like, um, like the private house ones are also so specific. It's like, how would you know what people have at home? So it was like, yeah. I remember it was like mid-levels and which means that, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's the helper, but it has to be someone living in the house. Yeah. Then, I mean, a lot, a lot of yeah. these like um, house robberies, it's like when the cases like, are finalized, they realize it's an insider job as well. Like someone must have, like someone told them about where the watches are. Like the helper yeah. told like this guy, and this guy told yeah. some of the guys who targeted this house. Because you got to be very in Hong Kong, like you have to go through multiple security checks in a building to to get into yeah. a house, right? True. Uh, or yeah. or even if it's a, if it's a house house like a townhouse yeah it's still in hong kong it's not easy you know yeah yeah people don't i need gotta that. say uh i echo what long long said you know it only happens once because i when i was in england got burgled 
uh, twice. And I'll tell you, the mental impact of that, mm. it, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, my God. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I couldn't. I've, I've had it is of, like, bad. In, in, like, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is bad. It's yeah. not something that is, I agree with, like, it's not something you even want to happen once. Yeah. Because yeah. the yeah. aggregation, the, the aggravation afterwards, like sleeping. Yeah. Like yeah. sleeping with a I mean, golf putter next to you for a whole year and a bit, you know? Yeah. And then any little sound at night. Yeah. Even like feeling paranoid when you have a big house to go mm -hmm. upstairs, you know, because it's yeah. dark or whatever, right? Like in my case, yeah, on one of the situations, they came through the back gate, you mm -hmm. know? And then in the night, you know, sometimes the wind might blow the back gate, right? Or something might, you hear some sounds in the garden, having the balls to go down and make sure that that door's like actually locked, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then yeah. carrying your golf, that, that kind of stuff just never ever like leaves you. I mean, there's something yeah. that I really even remember today is walking downstairs because they were in my house when I was there, right? Like, mm -hmm. and seeing a footprint like oh, wow. on the on the freaking carpet yeah like that's it fill up your spine right yeah yeah that like fucks you up so bad because you like yeah. think fuck they were like literally like less than 10 meters away from me yeah yeah you know and what if you know i had just decided to go for a piss at that time <laughs> you know yeah or you know what i mean and i just walk past and i see see him face to face oh my god your your, your mind like starts like playing mm -hmm. playing stuff and i think people that have been on the end of that i, I know lungs being you know like had some traumatic experiences you know you know exactly what i mean it just doesn't like like leave you but yeah, uh, anyway yeah. let's move away from this topic um and talk about uh Obviously, you became an AD, uh, not an AD, you became a dealer, but then yeah. you were a collector and yeah. you had relationships with ADs. And in our last episode, we were talking specifically about ADs and the relationships mm -hmm. with ADs. How has your relationship changed with ADs? Yeah, so it's, it's something that a lot of people ask me. And um, for me, I like in the beginning, I struggled a lot with how how to balance or juggle the, the both sides. A lot of people might might choose to, a lot of dealers might choose to, you know, just lie to the ADs and say like, I'm still a collector. But for me, I just like, I didn't want the stress. So I was like, mm -hmm. whenever I got to meet my AD sales, I told them I became a dealer and see mm -hmm. how they took it, right? And some of the AD sales were super, super cool about it. They, they were like, oh, cool. Like there's nothing wrong with being dealer. Uh, it's even easier for us because then whatever we sell you, we can mark it down. And if it comes on the market, we'll back blacklist you. So it's even easier for us. So some of them are very like understanding, but obviously some of them are like, oh, so you're a dealer now and they never call me back again. You know. <laughs> so for me, I, I was just very transparent about it. And um, I, I, I give credit to the, some of those ADs who were very very cool about it and it was just like it just makes their job easier because obviously now that i've revealed my dealer side i'm not going to say anything that's from them right because that's just going to end all things right yeah right so i wanted to ask 
in our last episode, we were talking specifically about customer service. Obviously, you're a dealer. You sell watches. Brands sell watches. ADs sell watches. But what do you ever think like you go in there and then as a client, you think, oh, you know, they could improve on this. You know, yeah, improve yeah. on this customer stuff. Yeah. What 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 are the things that really come to mind? Well, I mean, it's just like I think with with sales, it's been it's been so good since COVID, right? Market has been booming. A lot of a lot of sales has you know gotten to the idea of got gotten used to the idea of like not selling a watch, but you can still do make make a lot of sales. So knowledge wise, a lot of sales are very lacking knowledge especially when you deal with special brands like independent brands where you have to do have to educate your your, your customers obviously like if you talk about Patek Philippe and those you don't need to do as much education on the brand but in this new world of watches people are getting into independent watches and you do need to know your stuff and that's what's like lacking at the moment I think with with sales but what I found interesting is once I revealed my identity as a dealer, those who still wanted a relationship, it's actually even easier to talk to them. It's even like better after I revealed my identity because they we talk about all things watches. You know, we talk about oh, how the market is. We're we're even more transparent than before as a as like if I walk in as a client because yeah. there's a lot of things they don't want to talk to a client about. Whereas like now that I'm a dealer, they want to yeah. know how the market is. So for me, like I feel, I feel like it's you know surprisingly good now that I've I've like you know made sure that they know I'm a dealer. Yeah, but I do want to emphasize like you aren't Batman here with a secret identity. Like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You are just a dealer. Sorry, I just had to get it in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> the way you were saying it was like yeah, yeah, you like yeah. being like Bruce Wayne or something, you know, or, yeah, or like yeah, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think that's like I think what I what I found is there's nothing wrong with being a dealer, right? You can still have a relationship with ADs for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, famously, uh, Horror Loop. Yeah, I'm sure he still yeah, has yeah. a great relationship yeah. with AP, but exactly, uh, yeah. he's a yeah very established uh, dealer. But having become a dealer, how has your own perspective taste changed in watches? Yeah, I mean, my I, I always buy to my own taste, which is sometimes it's a, it's a downfall. <laughs> sometimes it makes me like buy stuff that doesn't sell well. But um, for me, my my way of dealing is I always try and promote and buy stock or consign stuff that I like myself. So that's my like principal rule when I when I deal. I love I love to trade stuff that I find attractive on my hand, on my on my wrist and um, makes my life easy as well but obviously we have to take care of business right so um yeah when like now that i've become a dealer i do look into what's trending that's not necessarily my taste you've got to be aware of those and what what's the opportunities out there and what's the next big thing right so that's like something that I, I'm, I'm a bit more aware of now okay and having not been in it for too long What's the biggest thing that most people don't appreciate about being a dealer? Um, margins. <laughs> they don't realize, like, I guess a lot of people don't realize how how slim 
margins are as a dealer mm. they think like, oh um just because say like a patek is trading 2x the the, the retail price we, our margins are 2x you know you'll be surprised that a lot of people actually didn't don't know that we buy at resale price as well and we sell at resale price so mm-hmm. our margins are actually a lot slimmer than what people think you know and uh sometimes we as dealers we have to provide service right we have to provide after service including maintenance and that's like cost as well so having slim margins including those costs can sometimes take a hit you might take a loss because you never know sometimes some margins might break within one or two months especially vintage Mm. so it's something that i i tend to guarantee my clients when when dealing with vintage i give them like three months warranty regardless so whatever goes wrong within three months, I, 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 t- I cover him. Obviously that, that, that doesn't take account into like physical damage that they did to the watch. Mm. Yeah. I know there are um, a lot of brands, so you can't generalize, but in Hong Kong, what's been the easiest to buy and sell? In Hong Kong, we, we're talking about, if we talk about volume, it's definitely mm-hmm. still Rolex. It's still, Rolex okay. is still king because it's just like, price and volume is just there mm-hmm. everyone wants to own a Rolex um but uh yeah I mean Patex is probably like my second for me mm. yeah like modern or vintage uh modern modern okay. but um yeah like I I tend to do a bit more vintage but then volume wise is definitely modern stuff mm. okay okay mm. and I wanted to know um Knowing what you do now, which is, I don't know how many years in, I think a couple of years in, um, what would you have told yourself at the start of this journey with some of the experience you have? Wow. Um, what would I have told myself? Uh, like right now, I, it's, it's a tough question. Uh, I would have told myself to keep my other job a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the the market hasn't been the greatest but obviously like it's it's just like i'd say it that way but then i have no regrets in in quitting my job you know it's uh it's something that you need to dedicate your whole whole life to i think uh especially like because i I love watches and yeah it's it's just non-stop right as a watch dealer what's the aspect of the job you actually enjoy the most for me, it's definitely talking to different clients. I have clients from all like all trades of life. I have businessmen, I have professionals, I have, you know, I have kids who are 18 year old trying to find a Royal Oak, you know? So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to meet all these people. Right. And then one thing you mentioned was, you know, maybe, you know, you devote yourself to this. Are there dealers that you actually look up to is there something that you know a level that you want to get up to yeah yeah for sure yeah um so i i'm actually uh i look up to uh sean sean from from uh malaysia sean s song oh okay right yeah so he, he's actually a good personal friend of mine because we we met in uk and uh but yeah i, I look up to to him a lot because i i saw his whole journey from from uni days trading in the in in the portobello arcade to now like being one of the one of the most like prominent like asia dealers 
So yeah, I, I do look up to people like him a lot. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you just like clarify because like what makes a successful dealer? Cause you're not talking about quantity, right? So like, yeah. is it the reputation or like, what are you trying to build here? Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's always reputation because mm. um, as, as a dealer, there's um, only certain amount of watches you can do, right? Because uh, I'm just one person and I'm, I'm not trying to build a, a team of like 20 sales. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's all about reputation, like people recognizing them buying from you, especially like with vintage, because I deal with a lot of vintage and it's mm -hmm. all down to reputation, like mm -hmm. buying from, from a dealer or B dealer or C dealer. It's all down to reputation. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Right. So I wanted to ask you, could you share like a positive, memorable experience you've had as a dealer? Yeah, I can. I can. So um, I have a, I have a story in mind, it, which starts off a bit, a bit, a bit grim, but then it gets better. <laughs> so um, it was, I remember that it was end of last year. Um, a client of mine was was trying to find a uh, fifty one thirty one uh, Patek Philippe, so enamel dial world timer. And we like to be specific. Still, what metal? Oh, uh, sorry, rose gold, rose gold. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a beautiful watch. And uh, I managed to source him one from from Japan uh, quite quickly because it was a birthday. Oh, not birthday, a Christmas present for his wife, mm. which is a very cool present. And uh, somehow my uh, my dealer side, my, my Japanese dealer sold the watch, double sold the watch. So I couldn't get hold of the watch. And we're talking about it was 22nd of, 22nd of uh, December already. So we had like two days left. So obviously I was scrambling for another watch. And I was just, I had to be honest with my uh, client saying like, the watch is gone so i had to look again and um i remember it was already 24th of of, of um december and i flew out to singapore there was one available there and i thought the quickest way was to fly out there to get it because fedex holidays it's it's all mess so i flew out got the watch checked the watch it was all fine and send him a photo of the certificate and just so happens it's not even i'm not even kidding just so happens the date of the certificate is the exact date of their anniversary that's so cool is, whoa super super cool like i like he he did he i thought i thought he gave up on the watch because he didn't reply me for the whole day i thought ah oh, damn like i've got to sell this watch to someone else and they got the watch, but he told me he was just like in shock. So he, he didn't reply me for a bit. He was talking to his wife. And uh, yeah, I took the watch back to Hong Kong and uh, got it all done before Boxing Day. Yeah, and that was one of, the, cool. one of the most satisfying moments of my, uh, my, my dealing life, you know. That's Whoa, so cool. yeah. Yeah. that is yeah. an amazing story. Wow. Yeah. It that was is... just, uh, I think, yeah. I was so close to getting the same year as well, but it was unfortunately the wrong year. But it was, it was, uh, I think it was two years off with their, their actual like marriage date, but it was good yeah. enough for them. <laughs> see, you see, like a 5131 
like R. I thought you'd be able to find one in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, but prices were high yeah, in Hong Kong. Right. Somehow okay. I managed to find a few like cheaper in, in overseas. Yeah. These, so people, like, will be, these... people will be thinking, like listening to your story there, like you just said margins are low. You managed to put, put in the flight, find the watch, bring it back, sell it, still make money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was doing a client a favor. I, I, was, I was earning a few hundred dollars <laughs> on the watch. Just but to no, help no, no. Out. the yeah. flights can like, be honestly, to Singapore. Yeah, honestly, at that point, I was just yeah. doing it to get the deal done because I didn't want to disappoint him. And he was a, he was a big yeah. client of mine, and um, it was it was worth it doing it, even if it was at a loss. It was still mm. worth it. Yeah, that is an amazing story. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I like to make things equal on this podcast. Can you give us a shit story then? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a plenty shit story, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've got to filter out some of the explicit ones. And uh, I, I'd say I have to go back to the early days of dealing, which is like about two years ago, when mm. I was still doing part time on on watch dealing. And uh, I mean, I had a few more shit stories back then because you know I was pretty new to the to the field, and. Uh, I was basically it was it was at the peak of uh, the Vacheron Constantin hype oh, of oh, overseas. Yeah, yeah, twenty twenty one, end of twenty twenty one, and I somehow got hold of a um, quite a rare piece, which is the chocolate dial overseas, mm. which they only made for one year, I think, I believe. Mm. And um, yeah, I got hold of that, and you know, prices were going crazy, and I thought, you know, why not? I can stop that. It's gonna be fine. And I lined up a Middle Eastern dealer who has a office in Hong Kong, and he's he's you know he he, he said he's going to pay a good price, and you know I uh, I actually dealt with him a few times, so I have no problem of giving him the watch before getting the money because it's mm -hmm. B two B, so it's based on trust. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got him the watch. He shipped it out to Dubai. Um, then he told me, oh, the client is saying the watch is in not as good condition as described which you know it's 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 always you know it's hard when it's a used watch you can't expect perfection right and i was like you know what like tell tell me how much he wants like off the watch right to take off the watch so we can complete the deal and he's like, oh no he doesn't want the watch this is this that, that that and um i was like you know what i'm going to make money on this watch regardless Ask him to ship the watch back. I'll pay the shipping and everything, insurance. Mm. I'll take the watch back. It's fine. And then my dealer contact told me, oh, no, wait. The watch is with his cousin who is trying to sell my watch to someone else. I'm like, no, I, I'm telling you, like, give the watch back. I'm happy mm. to take it back. Just ship it back right now. <laughs> and he's just telling me this story. like, Oh, my cousin's giving it to this other guy who is trying to find a seller as well. So... It ended up like, like, I had to like, you know, basically face FaceTime his cousin who I never met. And he was like telling me the watch is not with him, blah, blah, blah. And I told him like, you haven't paid me a single penny and I just want the watch back. And he told me, oh, I've just sold the watch at 10% um, below what I sold, originally sold. So that's like, I'm making a loss, right? And I, I, at that point, I was pretty sure he was trying to squeeze me. He was trying to, he was he was just trying to get more margins out out of mm -hmm. the deal so 
I had to like, I had to, I had to put some pressure on my 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 dealer contact from Hong uh, from the the bike dealer from Hong Kong, and I basically told him like within one hour if you don't give me my money, I'm gonna post the whole story on all the dealer groups, mm-hmm. and yeah, he paid me, but yeah, I I never never dealt with him again, but that's a pretty bad story. I think it's it's bad it's bad on my part because I like I was pretty green, so I trusted him too much. Mm-hmm. So, so is that one of those stories yeah or is that certainly a shit story because of how you because of how you regard yourself in dealing with that or because of the people the external people involved do you know what i mean by that yeah yeah i know what you mean i think i it's it's both i think more more to my i think reflecting on the story like I think it's more down to my part because you can never be safe enough, right? Even if mm. it's a B two B deal, so sometimes you got to protect yourself. So right, like nowadays, I'm I'm very much more careful, but mm. obviously, like yeah, there's a lot of uh, shady dealers out there. Let's say, mm. yeah. So, so I think even yeah. as a customer, you got to yeah. be careful. Yeah. Under like payment terms, where it's like you can pay half before you ship the watch or yeah yeah so usually okay. I, that's what i do or i take 20 percent before i ship the watch out but mm. then he's the he's the guy who i've dealt with multiple times so i expect you know mm. a bit of trust and a bit of honesty but obviously that wasn't the case yeah. <laughs> i was i was i was green i was green back then <laughs> mm. Mm. okay right so my last question of this main interview is well actually i'm gonna ask us like do, do, do you still see a vacheron overseas in the same way now <laughs> like after that <laughs> do, do you no, think I, like I, you look at the watch and go oh piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh i still it's still a great watch you know it's still a great watch i don't think it's a it's a shit watch. that particular watch is a shit watch <laughs> yeah, 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 but, uh, no, the other ones are okay yeah. right <laughs> And I don't know, you may have answered this in your previous answers, right? But this is the final question. From your experience as a dealer, is there a watch that particularly stays in the mind that you've wow. dealt? Wow. I mean, yeah, like the cool story, which is the 5131, that was one of them. But um, another one would be, would be um, a similar story, but a personal collection of mine. I, I managed to get hold of a vintage Rolex. It's uh, I'm not sure if you guys seen. It's a blue Buckley dial, so yeah. it's mm. it's yeah. So it's a day 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 uh, day just nothing mm-hmm. too crazy, but it's mm. a blue Buckley dial with the white hands and the white front. And right. that one, I actually secured it with the exact same date of birth of mine. So day <laughs> date and year. Yeah. It's it's that's it's my crazy. birthday. So that's like the coolest watch cool. that I that I have yeah and it's it's not like some fancy expensive watch but then it's mm. yeah it was it was crazy I, I paid like way over the price but i had to get i had to get it and and it has all the original like singapore paperwork it was from mm. singapore so that proves like at least like the papers are real right <laughs> <laughs> so when you say the date are you saying the year as well yeah so everything yeah year date and day yeah oh wow so how did you find that so that one is actually um 
it was pure luck. It was it was a local dealer in Mongkok who has that watch. So it was just pure luck. Yeah, that was like five years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you yeah, very much I, for I, sharing. I, yeah, I, I think I paid way too much for that. I paid close to a hundred k for that. So that's like definitely uh, not a good good deal. Yeah, but that's then not a good me, deal. Yeah. 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 Wow, uh, like I've I've paid a lot for my Mavados, uh -huh. and uh, I remember like um, you know sometimes you just have to close your eyes and just buy it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I feel like with watches, it's it's very much emotional, right? Yeah, when when it, it feels is, right, yeah. you gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing such great stories. That five one three one R is a particularly heartwarming story. Thank so thank that's you. great. Um, but we now go on to the reverso round. What have you yeah. got lined up for us? Yeah, so I, I, I have quite a, a more serious question for you oh, guys, wow. but it'll okay. be an interesting one. So I think, so all of us are quite active on social media, right? So I feel like what is, like the question would be, what is the effects of um, social media on watch collecting? And do you think it's, uh, I mean, sorry, let me re reword the question. Mm -hmm. um, so consider that the, the watch market has boomed in the past few years due to social media, right? Do you think it's sustainable? Hmm. And how has it changed the way people collect? Hmm. It's quite open-ended question. Yeah. I actually think it's died. Like, I mean, not completely dead, but... I think it had a good run like during COVID and then a little post COVID and obviously we hit the peak already. Right. Yeah. But, and I mean, a lot of brands like, it's been like Vacheron, like there was a moment with Vacheron and then the 2220 also died out really quickly. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think there is still like a huge, huge bunch of people who are like still very focused on like buying things that the that's hyped up so you still see a lot of people who like buy a lot of rolexes and like modern rolexes because well i can't i can't even tell if they're just buying it because it's like what's being circulated the most online or they genuinely think um it's the best watch but um I actually think everyone's using social media less and less, but this is just my feed and right. I've slowly. Yeah. I don't know about uh, you. Dan. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a great take on it. Cause I feel like obviously there's, there's, there's a group of people who still think they can, they can hype stuff up from yeah. social media. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a very interesting take. Yeah. Well, I agree with uh long, long. Um, I think that Instagram initially was a great way to give, gave you another opportunity to flex your watch, yeah. flex, look at what I have. But um, after social media, where people were having these virtual relationships, uh, people then wanted to have real relationships. And then you saw the advent of like watch clubs, right? People that like have met fire uh, online instagram being a, a strong channel for that and then meeting offline to you know flex knowledge or, or engage have a deeper connection i think 
Um, and then the need to flex, the need to use Instagram as a way to flex kind of died just because I feel like once that something's been done, it's done. You know, once you've done it once or twice, you do it enough times, uh, people won as the person doing it, you get bored. And the people receiving that kind of information, that media also get bored of seeing the same shit, which is, you know, like a watch on the wrist or, or you flexing or you flexing, stop being somewhere, you know, this kind of stuff. And now uh, I'm just speaking on how I use social media is from my research. If I want to look at a certain reference, I'll use it as a search engine to look and I'll, I'll type in the hashtags or something just so that I, I follow hashtags so I can see like watches of that that reference coming up. And I actually find myself gravitating to, again, maybe longer form content. Um, yeah. I'm definitely more wary of time spent on social media. Mm. Um, it doesn't really play a part in my most of my daytime, actually. Mm. And it probably just spends like about an hour in the evening. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that's people also getting tired of it disrupting their life i guess mm -hmm. with meaningless uh content yeah uh and that's why i think people are more selective now over what they expose themselves to especially those that have more discipline mm -hmm. and i'd say watch collectors are probably more of that ilk like yeah. that uh question things a bit more and want to have and also by the way there's just that natural desire going through a watch journey of collecting things that require a higher knowledge acquisition Mm. Yes. Right? yes to yeah. actually know what you're buying right once you get past like the standard rolexes and 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 nautiluses and stuff like that you need to actually spend time reading and uh yeah. so i think there's that's how i see the transition I, I still like from a from a dealer's point of view i still think it is great because people i would use that platform to search for watches you know <clears throat> yeah especially rare watches you, you actually when you're searching for rare watches you're trying to use every every avenue <laughs> right yeah 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 Google you're checking search. like three yeah. loads of avenues just to make sure if it yeah. if a new thing pops up right so so yeah that's what i think yeah i mean that's very cool i mean i'm definitely agree yeah because i think people look for like they they connected over online and there's a difference in reality i guess once that once you can connect physically now people there's a different expectation there's different in reality so yeah yeah I definitely agree. Yeah. Good. Well, right. Cool. So we're going to go on to the uh, quick fire questions, right? Which is just like a couple of random questions now. And then that's how we're going to finish the podcast. So okay. number one, this isn't actually a question that I wrote down, but it's come to my mind. How long have you thought having a tash and goatee being a good idea? <laughs> um, all through COVID. Oh, really? Because like, it's not a common thing to see in Hong Kong. And exactly. I don't think it, by the way, I don't think it looks shit, but it's just something that I don't see very often. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's been 50-50 it's been for now. Like, I, I've had comments that's positive and negative, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been a COVID thing. Like ever since COVID, I've had this, yeah. Right, okay. Um, next one. You're from Hong Kong. You've lived there all your life. How would you define Hong Kongers in three words? Um, efficient, uh, aggressive, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I don't know. Uh, competitive. Okay. Number two, you must have also built up quite a list of food joints, right? But where's one of your favorites? Oh, one of my favorites. What do you think? There's quite a few options. Um, one of my favorites. It's got to be... Uh, it's got to be Italian food somewhere. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, man, what do you think? Uh, Carbone. Carbone is one of my favorite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not mine, but okay. Each to their own. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of anything. Sure, but... I, do know what, I know Long Long, yeah, feels the same way as me because she yeah. had no response at all. <laughs> oh, like, no. Actually, no, let me let me rephrase. One of my favorite no, places. Too late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> You're not a true foodie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just couldn't think of anything just now. I couldn't think of like a more niche place. <laughs> right. Number three. Uh, we're coming up to New Year's. Any resolutions? Uh, yeah. So New Year's, I I feel like um, I'm going to show myself a bit more on social media because right now I don't really show myself. I don't do any content with my face or my own in it so the new year resolution would be to do a bit more personalized like social media content because people like that kind of stuff i think especially when uh, with the watches people like that connection right, i look forward to seeing it um we'll see you know what mass media tash. social media uh <laughs> respond to your tash and goatee that could be your hashtag you know yeah, be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one. One thing to do in Hong Kong that isn't the typical hiking, eating, karaoke, uh, you know, stuff. Um, uh, grabbing a drink at the, hol- the horologist's office. <laughs> okay. All right, where is your office, by the way? Yeah. It's in, it's in Sangpun. Uh, oh, okay. interesting. So right by Shangwan, yeah. It's on uh, Queens Road West. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you just came out of a cigar meet in your office. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people come up and uh, have, grab a quick drink and a quick cigar and head off. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's Number like, yeah. Okay. Next one. Who's your favorite watch celebrity? Oh. What's a watch celebrity? Someone that's famous in the watch world. Oh. Yeah. I, I guess the, the the common answer would be like someone like Mark Cho, but then I'd like to shout out my friend Sean S Song. So he's a he's one of my favorite watch celebrity. He is one, right? I don't know. Does he, yeah, does I he guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Right, <clears throat> number six. Uh, I have to first ask you: Are you married? I'm not. I'm not. All right, that's fine then. Which is the female celebrity that you would love to marry? Hold on. Can I just understand? Even if he's married, like, yeah. why is he not allowed to answer that hypothetically? Well, it's not that I wouldn't let him answer that. Oh. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> is that my wife might see this? Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, oh, don't be... pretend. Come on. Don't pretend this is taking a long time. 
No, I truly think he's struggling because it's like well, with the too many. <laughs> the, the girl from uh, Euphoria, Sydney something, Sweeney. Who? Sydney Sweeney. Oh, I know. You're She's on girl? White Lotus as well. Who? Yeah, who's yeah, this? Yeah, who, yeah. who are we talking about? She's so I I know what you like. I love it when guys choose people like that because it's not like it would it's never be. They're not like conventionally beautiful, so it's not like who? an Angelina Jolie face. Who I'm not going to tell you because um, you're going to. No, who is this bird? Who is this girl? Just write Sweeney, like S W E E. Yeah. Just but Google I totally Google like this is like my type of person <laughs> oh, where you. Sydney Sweeney. Yeah. And the more you look at them, you're like, oh, it's just so attractive because it's just so different and like interesting. Okay. Never heard of yeah. her, but I'm already on the Instagram <laughs> doing, yeah. as I said, research. <laughs> <laughs> okay next one um what's the last page you followed on instagram uh let me check on my personal or my company personal 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 let me check mm. oh it's actually a, a friend of mine uh Okay, just a friend of yours. Yeah, just a regular friend of mine. Nothing All crazy. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> it's funny because like I click into one photo of Sydney Sweeney and straight up the horologist HK light. <laughs> you know what? Oh right. Oh yeah. my right. Damn. <laughs> I should be yeah. more careful. <laughs> You're one of the two million odd followers that liked this picture. Right. Um Next one and the last one. What's the best holiday Christmas movie ever? That's easy. Wow. Uh, the Elf. What? What? <laughs> Dude, definitely the Will weirdest Will. answers we have yeah. ever gotten. What is the Elf? <laughs> like, have you seen that long? No, but can we just conclude he definitely has bad taste? Yeah, like he went downhill <laughs> after Carbone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to correct that i've got to correct that carbone comment <laughs> no no you see reputation as you said that's so important to you yeah and the drain with carbone <laughs> <laughs> um but you know since no one asked i i, I actually love the holiday uh okay as uh, the best yeah holiday even yeah. I am in love with Jude Law in that movie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. all right. So, Alex, that ends the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, especially I know it was late notice. And uh, I know it's going to be a tough year for the watch industry, tough year for many industries, in fact. But I hope yeah. that it is a good one for you mm -hmm. and wish you well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Good. All right. Thank you, thank Thanks you. for listening, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. 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 As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.